you're warning about this new vaccine coming out September, August, somewhere around there. How do you think this is going to change things, and what's the trajectory do you see of this? I think that we the data, the the trend in the data about the highly inoculated being the ones that are being hospitalized and dying has been consistent for months now. It's highly probable it will remain consistent. With some interesting nuances, New Zealand is a fantastic case example. New Zealand, for better or worse, they came all out because they're an island nation to keep the virus out of the country and quarantine really rigorously anybody that got infected. So they never got the benefit of the natural infection moving through the population. And they were all highly vaccinated. Okay, their government, you know, was full on World Economic Forum. Let's go vaccinate everybody. Uh, Pfizer, come, come have at it. Um, highly vaccinated population, no prior natural immunity, isolated. And they have one of the worst attack rates in morbidity and mortality rates in the world right now. Oh, wow. Um, so that's just one example um, we're seeing it all over the world, these kinds of things. The paradox, as you mentioned, we were talking about Haiti and South Africa, the paradox of most of the emerging economies that have not accepted a lot of vaccine are actually have the best mortality rates in the world. I think it's likely that we're going to continue to see this trend. It is. It will continue to be in the media, other than in places like Epoch Times, aggressively suppressed any information, social media, aggressively suppressed. And yet the thing is, there's so much virus pressure that all of us in our daily lives know of colleagues who are highly compliant with taking multiple inoculations that are getting repeatedly infected with Omicron. I, you can't hardly find somebody that doesn't have that story in their family, their friends, their workplace, we're all seeing it. They can suppress the information all they want. We're all experiencing it. Um, that's going to continue. Um, the unless you know, except in those people that uh, have good high levels of vitamin D and do these other things and live a healthy lifestyle and etc. Um, so we're going to continue to see this trend. The data is going to get stronger and stronger. Um, I think that there is no way that the U.S. government is the health and human services as it exists right now up until the midterm will be able to acknowledge basically their sins. I think there's yeah. no way they can come clean. There's no way that they can come to terms with the fact that Defense Threat Reduction Agency and NIH NIAID capitalized the research and facilitated it through technology transfer at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There is no way that they can come to terms with their duplicity in the initiation of this event and the gross mismanagement of this event. They're trying to hide it. They're playing an end game now. They are, Tony's doing backflips. I mean, the whole world saw that he got infected yeah. and he had to have two rounds of Pavloxid didn't really work that well for him, as it doesn't work for most people that well. Yeah. Um, it's the, 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 the truth has a way of coming out. It takes it, the unfortunate thing 
is all of their denialism and resistance and propaganda and censorship have the people that have been hurt by this, they've been trying to protect their careers and their political positions, but the people that have been hurt are the people that are listening to us in the audience. And it was unnecessary. That, that early treatment saves lives. We have one of the worst mortality rates from this virus and this disease in the United States and the entire world. And it is the consequence of active suppression by Health and Human Service of early treatment. And the question that we all have, why have they suppressed early treatment? Why have they never come out in favor of vitamin D? It makes no sense at all, right? The reason, the only explanation that fits the data is the terms of the emergency use authorization for the vaccines in particular, in which Peter Marks, head of CBER, has to certify every time that there is no alternative treatment available for treating this disease. He signs that document every time the EUA gets renewed, and it is obviously a fraud. Wow. Jeez. I want to talk about kind of the cover-up of this whole thing. Well, first of all, you know, people are going to be offered this vaccine come September or August. What would you tell them about it? Oh, I, it's not just me. I serve as the president and one of the co-founders of the International Association of Physicians and Medical Scientists. Over 17,000 physicians and medical scientists. You can find our website at globalcovidsummit.com. We've come out with an unequivocal statement and press release that the vaccines need to be withdrawn. These genetic vaccines are not working. Tony Fauci is now acknowledging it. They are not preventing infection. They are not preventing replication. They're not preventing infection of others. The fallback position, the modified limited hangout, has been, well, they make the disease less severe. And that's no longer tenable. Okay, um, and so now their fallback is, well, they, you know, we're not going to acknowledge that that's the truth, but we absolutely have to have a new vaccine because, uh, well, it's not working. Yeah, because um, the current one's not working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, and and so that's, I, I, this is the behavior we're going to see, unless there is a wave election, at the midterm, and we see people like Ron Johnson who would become chair of the Senate Subcommittee on Investigations and finally have subpoena power, unless we finally get a balanced split government where we don't have a single-party control, I'm not, you know, whether you're Democrat or Republican, I think we can all agree that single-party control in a time of crisis is a bad idea. Um, yes. We need checks and balances. And right now, we have no checks and balances, and that is why the administrative state is able to have its way with all of us, is because there's nobody. The only check right now is the Supreme Court on the power of the state, of the power of this senior executive service, which is immune from being firing functionally. The only way they can fire them is if they have some gross misconduct, uh, you know, they're in there for life. They run the government, the senior executive service. And Tony Fauci is a special little niche of a medical consultant 
Um, and he's managed to build his own little empire where he's also almost completely protected from the Congress or the executive branch being able to bring him to leash. Yes. And until we have some real investigations, we're never going to get to the bottom of this. And if there is a wave election and we see the Senate flip and we see the House flip, I hear the Senate's a little more tenuous, and people like Ron, Rand Paul, and others get in. Ted Cruz um, is another one that's taken this cause on. And they are able to subpoena, and they're able to get testimony. You know, you know, every time you FOIA these documents, what you get back is a whole lot of blackout. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those guys can say, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, we'll give it to you, but we won't give you anything. Yeah, yeah that's what they say. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And, and, and the likes of Ron Johnson are going to be able to come in and say, no, you're going to show us those documents, and we're going to see what you've actually been doing. We're going to see the little games that you played with Peter Daszak. We're going to see what actually happened. And when that happens, I think the dam breaks. I hope. Well, let's talk about something you mentioned before, which was... We were talking about, of course, immune, immune imprinting, and you were saying that this is kind of like the no-go topic. You talk about it, you lose clients. You talk about it, you know, people want to pull their money out if you're working in immunology. If you're a vaccinologist, this, this is one of those things that it call, calls into question the whole logic of the annual vaccine enterprise, particularly for these respiratory RNA viruses. So what is this kind of, I mean, honestly, for most Americans, we call this a cover-up mechanism. I understand maybe it's more like a business interest thing because they don't want it affecting their business. But what is it, right? What, what's, what's the factor that makes them not want this fact to be reported? Uh, it, it is about profit. Um, it's the, the vaccine enterprise is a fascinating business space. Um, the barriers to entry, once there is a licensed product, a licensed vaccine product, that makes it so that it's almost impossible to do clinical trials in that area, okay? Because you have to compare your new product to the existing product that represents the standard of care. So you're almost forced to go offshore into places that aren't using that existing product. It becomes extremely expensive, extremely time-consuming, and the consequence is that once you grab the brass ring, if you're, if you're a vaccine manufacturer, and you get in there, particularly if you get it all the way down to the Vaccines for Children program, which is another area that is, to understand this ecosystem, it's super important. The Vaccines for Children program run by the CDC, I think may be the only federal program that Congress does not have to reauthorize the budget. If the ACIP and the, F and the CDC decide that a vaccine should be on the pediatric schedule, um, Congress is not involved. That will now be bought and deployed all across the United States in every pediatrician's office. It'll go on the school schedules. It is the ultimate cash cow. Okay? You have a monopoly. Bang. Okay? And it's not just that. You have complete indemnification. You can't be held legally li liable. They have a whole protection program that's been set up for that. If you're a vaccine manufacturing company, this is a perfect business model. You've got a cash cow that you can milk every year. You get your check from the government. 
you sell them more vaccine. It's this, you don't have to improve it. It's the same vaccine that you got licensed in 1968 or whatever. I'm referring to Merck vaccines in the pediatrics, yes. for instance. You manufacture it by these same antiquated processes. You have no incentive to make it better, to make it safer, to make it uh, more pure. You have absolutely no incentive. It's already locked in. It's licensed. Okay, Nobody else can get in to that market space. You've got a guaranteed profit year on year on year on year and no liability. All the liability has been shielded. It is the perfect business model, and it has become incredibly, incredibly um, lucrative. Yeah, well, and what a lot of Americans, I think, get concerned about is not only the process through which you really don't have any path of recourse if something happens. I mean, a very like mild one, really. It's even get a very, yeah, very good small luck. Payout. Uh, yeah. and, and they made it even more difficult in the case of these EUA products. Yes. But the other big thing people are looking at is the financial interest of both government officials and of media organizations, both of which take huge amounts of money from these, uh, you know, pharmaceutical Absolutely. companies. Absolutely. And so there, there's like a there's like a circle of interest, and all of them are tied you, into you it. You have to understand that this has been built over decades. Okay, one little brick at a time, one tiny step at a time. The pharmaceutical industry is a monster. Eisenhower warned us about the medical pharmaceutical industrial complex at the same speech that he warned us about the military industrial complex. If you go back and grab those clips, I invite Epoch Times to do so, you'll watch that speech in its grainy black and white and you'll say, my God, this guy was brilliant. He saw this all coming. It's been playing out over decades just the way he said it was going to play out. And here we are. We're at the phase where it has become so deeply embedded, so insidious. And I, on, you mentioned the substacks. I did a part one, part two about the, what do we do with the problem like HHS, where I listed all the things that have gone wrong, what the legal basis is that supports the administrative state, which the Supreme Court is trying to pick away at now. That, that was huge, yes. And then all of these things that have been done that creates this corporate government, administrative state, public-private partnership. They have set in place nonprofit foundations that allow Bill Gates and Big Pharma to push money into the CDC, to push money into the NIH, to influence what they do. Okay, And another thing that's just particularly egregious that you guys and others have been trying to peck away at with your FOIAs, when you said how much money is coming back from the patent royalties to all these people at NIH, okay? That's the Bayh-Dole Act. That was another one of these things that Congress put in place with the best of intentions to drive American innovation. It was intended for nonprofits and for universities to basically incentivize professors and universities to file for patents because without patents, industry can't develop the technology. It's just the way things work, okay? And they took this, and then they applied it to the federal employees. So now people that are getting paid, I mean, this, this is really an important nuance to understand. We're paying Tony Fauci and all of his people to do their job. Their job kind of has two general buckets. Discover new stuff, 
new innovation, basic science, that kind of stuff, yes. and also manage the whole research enterprise. And the ecosystem that's happened under the Bayh-Dole Act since it's been extended to federal employees is they're in a position where if they have an invention, they now have the right. It's one of these things that's gradually, gradually, gradually been transformed. They, the NIH can select a pharma and do a single license to that pharma, an exclusive deal, okay? So let's take an example of Moderna, okay? Moderna partners, that vaccine was engineered by the Vaccine Research Center at the NIAID, okay? Moderna, Moderna actually didn't do much in this. They were kind of a middleman, um, funded historically by DARPA, to Very develop these RNA vaccines. Okay. Very, the military Research Institute, yes. Okay. Yeah. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency gave us the SR-71 and the Internet. Um, and Facebook and so many other things. Um, so many gifts. Uh, we're overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, so nice of them. Yeah. So, yeah, so kind. Um, so the, but to illustrate the ecosystem, Vaccine Research Center, a branch of the NIAID, that was set up to develop AIDS vaccines and to create a, a biotech-like enterprise within the government. That was the logic, okay? They engineered the vaccine. They did an exclusive deal with Moderna. Moderna then gives patent royalties back to the Vaccine Research Center, NIH, and the investigators. The investigators get a kickback. They all, because their names are on the patent. So they all get 100 grand a year on top of their salaries from this, probably for the rest of their lives. A number of them have retired now. Why not? Uh, you would. I would. Um, talk about cash cow. Uh, it's a nice deal if you can get it. Um, the important thing is that these people that are getting this money coming back from pharma in the form of patent royalties... They're also making decisions about other technologies that get funded, other research areas that get funded. So they have an intrinsic financial conflict of interest not to fund things that are competitive with the stuff that they're already getting money on. Okay, this is deeply corrupt. It has to stop. So government pours money into these organizations... These organizations then, of course, finance through lobbying and so on, and, you know, fundraisers, a lot of the government officials and their campaigns. Meanwhile, these same, these same companies are some of the biggest, you know, subscribe, biggest advertisers on most of the media yep. networks, and the media networks run what you've described as fear porn, getting people to go and take the medication they're getting money off of. And so there's, there's this big circle it is, involved it, with the, it. The, the, the slang, a circle jerk, comes to mind. Uh, um, it, <laughs> is, it is a... The fear porn, oh no. It's it terrible. is a... You're right. It's a whole <laughs> ecosystem that's been developed. And it's the important thing to understand in all of this is the administrative state is controlling the executive. It is unaccountable. It is totally embedded. The phrase that Sheldon Wolin came up with is inverse totalitarianism. Yes. We, don't, we no longer have the president controlling the administrative state. The administrative state controls the president. The administrative state has come up with this language that they use, public-private partnerships. Yeah, Public-private partnerships is a euphemism for corporatism. 
It is the integration of corporate interests with entrenched government leadership, bureaucracy, okay? And Mussolini is attributed with a phrase that corporatism, that fascism should really be called corporatism. Public-private partnerships is a very nice euphemism for fascism.